Welcome to My Shitty Podcast, So Shitty It Only Has One T. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. And most importantly, thanks for telling a friend. Also want to thank my guest, Dr. D. Blanco, for coming on and talking to us about what she does for a living, um, giving us some insight on some holistic veterinary procedures. Um, also want to dedicate this uh, podcast to... Um, Bruce, my little 16-year-old corgi, he gave me 16 good years, and um, unfortunately I had to put him down um, several weeks ago, but uh, little guy's still in my heart, and love you, Missy Bruce. Um, all right, enough sadness. <laughs> um, let's let the cat out of the bag. Let's let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, that's it. Ups, like name as many dog breeds as, as you, can, <laughs> <laughs> you possibly can. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna move this in just slightly. Does that feel okay? Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, and we can get started if you're ready. Okay. okay, I'll tell you my favorite dog breed. Yeah, I'm very interested in this. <laughs> my absolute favorite dog breed is the kind where you can't tell what it is. It's yeah. just a mix of everything <laughs> wonderful and that, furry and loving and just everything. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Plus, it's there's some complexity there where you're like, yeah. I don't know. I, I was thinking just, chow, but maybe right. a little, maybe a little bit of um, husky one yeah. day. Yeah. And then the next day you see, oh, that's kind of Dalmatian. It, it's a little more houndy. Yeah. But then there's the terrier. There's mm-hmm. definitely a terrier quality when he goes running after the mm-hmm. rabbits. And then there's, you know, and then there's all the behavior characteristics right. that are sometimes breed oriented or breed specific. And, but it doesn't matter sure. to me. Just the healthy mixed breed. Usually the, the mixed breed animals, um, because they're the way the genes are expressed, mm-hmm. um, usually you get an expression of the more dominant native, so to speak, and actually more wild breeds. Um, so if you start, you know, when we have these breeds that have, they don't shed or that they have, um, you know, a certain ears that flop over, or they have whatever certain hide or they can do the side hounds or whatever, they can do certain uh, activities for us. They are bred for those activities or for that hair or for those ears or whatever that size and so we kind of get them further away from the wild dog yes and the wild dog tends to be about 35 pounds maybe 40 at the most mm-hmm. tends to look like a coyote basically or like a dingo or the south african wild dogs with uh, usually very upright ears some of those wild dogs have cur- curled ears they look more like teddy bears, but, but they're always upright. Um, they usually have short hair, um, and they're not very big and they're long legs. Um, and the reason for that is that's how they could survive better in the wild. If you have a lot of floppy hair or beautiful feathers, you're not so likely to, because a a predator can grab a hold. Um, and also the upright ears are for hearing because Mm -hmm. there's, you know, they so dependent on hearing for, their livelihood for, you know, their prey, but also in case there's a predator. And so these are the kinds of things when you go back to looking at what a wild dog looks like and how if the closer we get to that, typically the more healthy. Now, people that breed animals would disagree with me right now. Sure. So that's controversial 
uh, comment number one for this interview. <laughs> There'll be many others. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but in my experience in 38 years as a veterinarian is the the more we can get those kind of inherited characteristics that express more looking like the wilder breeds, yeah. um, the healthier they tend to, the more sort of stamina and, and um, just, you know, overall health they have. Yeah. So, Anyway, that's wonderful. Um, I wanted to to give you a chance to kind of um, dip into your your um, my background, your, your my, background. Yeah. yeah, to just kind of give uh, listeners sure who you are and and what you do and when you got started. So yeah. if you don't mind introducing yourself, sure, and, and okay. going from there. <laughs> my name is Dr. D. Blanco, and I've been a veterinarian for thirty eight years, almost starting thirty nine years. So it's a long time. <laughs> I'm from New Mexico. And um, I went to school in Colorado, um, and I went to school also in New Mexico, southern part of the state, New Mexico State. And then, uh, so I've been practicing, the first seven years I practiced regular allopathic medicine, that's the what I call commercial medicine, what we use right now. And um, then I had an epiphany um, through a medical issue of my own that couldn't be fixed um, with um, allopathic drugs, basically steroids. And um, I was going through a strong emotional time. I was going through a divorce, and my body broke out in eczema, basically top to bottom everywhere, and the steroids didn't hold it. And I found a, um, I found a Ayurvedic doctor in Albuquerque. Many people know about him, and that helped. Very dramatic uh, 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 turnaround at that point. But it wasn't quite enough. And then um, uh, a friend of mine told me about some homeopathy. And I started at that point. I read my first book on homeopathy and said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that, because it's so, it's such an elegant form of medicine, it's so simple, and it's so... Um, respectful of the natural healing response, which we aren't taught in medical schools. We're not really taught about what is that, what is that system, if you call it that, where does the healing come from? So anyway, um, that was, uh, that was 31, 32 years ago. And so I only practice holistic medicine. My focus is from a holistic perspective, which I'm really glad that I didn't have a lot of years behind in allopathic medicine because it's such a different paradigm that a way of thinking about things that it's it's very hard to get out of that kind of training if you're in school mm-hmm. and you have that allopathic training. It's a very kind of, you know, you have a symptom, you get rid of it, basically. And with holistic medicine, it's, it's a different approach, especially homeopathy is very different. So I'm glad I wasn't deeply ingrained with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you feel that way about most doctors? They get into this groove and they, yeah. they're not educating themselves because they went, they went through the motions yeah. and now they're done and now they've got to practice. But I think it's really, really important yes. with all this information that comes out and, uh, you know, new studies to continuously right. educate yourself. Um, right. I do it with podcasts, you know, like what, what else is new out there? You know, right. what's, what can I do to, to better the show? Um, right. and I feel like a lot of people aren't in that mindset. Um, doctors included, you know, not just veterinarians, yeah. but you know, even, even <laughs> your traditional doctor or dentists or, or whatever mm. the, the case may be. Um, yeah, and they do that. But there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, if you invest a whole lot of time, your life energy, a whole lot of money mm-hmm. into this, it's pretty hard to say, mm, I'm going to let that go. Yeah. If you have a big 
financial school debt to pay. Often you just go back in that track that you've been in. And the problem is that veterinary schools and medical schools really don't teach a lot of the real fundamentals of good health. And so to get out there and learn that is, uh, requires Herculean efforts to do that. And you still have to keep up with continuing education and the regular allopathic um, courses. Yeah. So you have to keep up with all the drugs that are out there, with surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. in order to get your licensing. So it's not supportive um, for looking at different um, alternatives, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, New Mexico does allow us to get some CE credit in an alternative fashion, and we're grateful for that. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, do you believe in the... Um, like the pharmaceutical companies or like commercial drugs, uh, as it's often uh, referred to by you, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, supporting veterinary offices or, or, or vet specifically, like, hey, you be the face of said, you know, said product. Is yeah. that is that a thing or is oh, that yeah. just a facade? That's that, that's oh, out yeah. there, huh? It's no different for the veterinary profession than it is for the medical profession, the human medicine. Sure, it's no different yeah. at all. You know, I think. You know, frankly, um, here's insult number two or <laughs> controversy <laughs> number two. I think that they're, they're and, and most practitioners don't even realize they're doing this. And so many people go into medical school really wanting to help their patients and feel really, you know, committed to that. But um, it's, it's a tendency to, to become basically what I call the pawns of big pharma, Mm-hmm. And you can see this in, you can go into a hospital and be there with someone, you can really see the frustration on the nurses and frustration in some of the doctors because they have to subscribe to a certain conditioning, but a certain way of thinking, you know, everything is kind of regimented. And in veterinary medicine, it's been for forever, it's been solo practices. And now there are conglomerates that are buying many veterinary practices here in town as well. Wow. And they are... Um, their, their model is to reform veterinary medicine so that it's basically in a flow chart. It is, you know, if an animal comes in with, you know, a diarrhea, then, you know, you go this way, yes and no, and you follow the flow chart, basically. And the veterinarians are often um, in their contracts are required to produce a certain amount of money in a day. And in human medical practices, Big Pharma often know they know exactly how many prescriptions are written of a certain drug in that practice. They know how many prescriptions are filled, and they're often given great bonuses or trips or whatever, yeah. lunches, whatever, for, you know, this is how, you know, so many of the issues with, you know, all kinds of problems we've seen, especially opioid addiction and stuff. So veterinarians, it's not quite that bad, but it is not good. Yeah. And it's become um, major money-making. Um, of course, we don't make the kind of money that's out there in human medicine, but it has become um, something that's almost impossible for people to afford. They love their animals. They want to care for them. But often it's impossible, um, especially you know if, if an animal goes in and has a malady that requires s- significant... Um, sophisticated diagnostics, then you can easily plop down 
you know, a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand is very common. Certainly. It's amazing to me. And so more and more people are getting insurance. So then there's this whole you see the system is is developing in the same way as human medicine did. So now there's insurance and people have to buy insurance. Unless they're on a natural path. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that the, the mm-hmm. natural path is out there. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend um, as far as just like basics, getting the basics started for, right. for your, your, your puppy dog or, right. or kitty cat? There's always basics. Always. <laughs> and it always goes back to that. Um, so I always say the, the fundamentals, and sometimes they're the F-U-N fundamentals, <laughs> And because animals really respond to these things and it's, it is more fun. It's more fun to spend your money where you're going to see an immediate effect. It's more fun when you see your animal being excited about where you've spent your money and your time. So the first thing always for me is food, fresh food. And the more that you can provide fresh food for your animals, the less you're going to see, um, all kinds of things, but the less harm you're going to do to your animal, because unfortunately we are living in a world where toxicants are everywhere and they, and the animals are really exposed even more than humans are because they don't wear shoes. So they're exposed to things walking around, not just asphalt that's burning their feet, but also um, sprayed herbicides and glyphosate is the big one around up that's sprayed in many parks. Um, and so the exposure is there for them, but they're also, um, often your home is the most toxic place. So if, if you just bought a new rug or you have a couch that is loaded with fire retardants, or you have uh, carpeting that has formaldehyde in it, or you just remodeled a room and painted with, um, with, uh, uh, um, volatile organic, um, um, compounds, Mm -hmm. then you've got, you know, your animals there all day long, you go off to work and maybe you're not in a sick building, but your animal is in your sick home. So the going back again, clean up the food, clean up your environment. These are really very simple things and they seem like they're, they're daunting, especially the food component of it. But once you really start to see how happy your animal is having fresh food, how delighted you start to feel good about it, how good their coats improve. They just, they don't have discharges from their eyes. They have these silky, wonderful coat. Their energy improves. They lose weight, all these kind of things that then can support, you know, what you're putting your effort and your money and your mindset into, you know, yeah. yeah. So those are the, often the the first foundations. Shall I go on? (laughs) Yeah, no, I want to, I wanted to to add something to that. Um, I, I grew up, um, at first I, when I was first born, I grew up like right downtown, very, very urban. Um, and then we moved to a farm. So most of my upbringing was on a farm and we had farm dogs that were just out and, um, they lived on the farm, very happy dogs. Um, but we would give them maybe not old Roy specifically, but the equivalent to just like bag of dog food, whatever, whatever it is. And Uh yeah. And Mm -hmm. it was before, well, it was before I was informed and before a lot of the information was out there. Um, but yeah, my dogs were always kind of smelly. Um, Mm -hmm. and not just because like they rolled in something or, or Mm -hmm. their, their, uh, coats were dusty. Um, and they were happy, but they're, coats were really coarse and you know they were just 
farm dogs, you know, and like, hey, can we let, can we let the, the dog in? They're like, no, 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 don't let, the, don't let that smelly hound in here. They're mm. farm dogs. Um, and then, you know, as I grew up, um, my dogs kind of evolved into this like urban dog where um, right. I'm giving, I'm going to these high-end pet food stores and grain-free and adding coconut oil to their food. And man, oh man, the silky coat, the right. uh, the fresh breath, the um, um, the ears that don't yeah. have like an odor or a smell to, but I'm, I'm also, um, you know, bathing as well um, once a week or, or beyond that, you know, if it, if, whenever it's it's called for yeah. but what a difference i mean i as a kiddo i just thought that was the norm dogs are just you know right. smelly um yeah right <laughs> you just give them whatever you know if there's biscuits and gravy left over just plop that in the bowl and yeah. they can they'll eat that up and love you for it yeah. um just a generic whatever the cheapest dog food brand is just throw that in there they'll be happy right. but you know, I just recently said goodbye to a 16-year-old uh, corgi. Yeah, no. Um, and he, uh, you know, got the royal treatment, of course. Um, but what a difference between my childhood dog and my adult dog. Um, you know, we would burn through those dogs every uh, six to ten years. You know, they're larger dogs, of course. But to have a dog for 16 years was... I don't know if that was just a testament to better food, overall care, because he really got the royal treatment. You know, mm -hmm. he was <laughs> mm -hmm. he was a family member um, yeah. more so than a dog. But um, I just wanted to compliment you on on the uh. on. That's exactly right. Like, what a what a big difference! Huge um, difference. Just food Huge. alone makes. Just food alone. Yeah. It's amazing, and you know, so it is garbage in, garbage out, yes. you know, you, and you either, I have, you know, you've heard that expression, you know, you pay the grocer or you pay the vet or the doctor, you <laughs> yeah, know, so that's right. I'd rather pay the grocer. Sure. You know? And so what you were probably experiencing there with the farm dogs, they got lots of exercise, lots of sunshine. They probably had actually pretty strong vitality, mm -hmm. but with those, all those toxicants and poor quality food, they never, they never really were able to bloom into their full lives, you know. Sure. And a lot of those big dogs can live to be 16, 17. There's absolutely no reason why they can't. I'm seeing more and more right? of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that more and more of the, the information that's out there, too, people mm -hmm. are kind of latching onto that. And yeah. Seeing a big result. Yeah. So it's good you got to experience all of this because you've now seen... The difference between, Certainly. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can really, really speak to it intelligently of, yeah. you know, well, these dogs that I had, you know, 30 years ago and yeah. this dog that I had for, you know, 16 years, mm -hmm. um, here's the, here's the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, I wanted to talk about CBD oil for pets. Oh, sure. Um, I've seen, um, a lot of friends using CBD for their pets. Um, my Corgi that, um, uh, Bruce is his name. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he had some just discomfort. Like um, he was kind of, he wasn't getting around as much. And then when I added CBD oil to his food, um, he had a little more pep in his step. Mm -hmm. uh, he was more willing to go on walks as opposed to, ah, I can hold it for hours. I hang out here on right. this couch. Go ahead without me. Mm -hmm. um, he at least pretended like uh, he, you know, wanted to, to go out there um, and, and do his thing. But, um, 
do you recommend it? Can you recommend it? Is it, is it, uh, right. is, is that something that's, that's conflicting with? Right. Well, you know more about CBD than I do, but, um, <laughs> it technically it's not legal for me to, um, to have it in my facility or really, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Why um, is that? I'm I think it's still some of the, the hold back from marijuana or sure. you know, THC that will change and mm-hmm. it is changing. So, you know, I just, there's great stores like, you know, what you work in and sure. we get to, we have access. So it's great that people are using it. I do see, and I have recommended it to quite a few people. Um, and those of us who take a little bit at night to sleep, that yeah. really helps. Yeah. Um, but th- there really is so many uses for it. Things like, I love it for seizures. Now, mm-hmm. because I'm a homeopath, I always want to try to find homeopathic remedy that fits the whole, what we call the constitution of the animal. So sort of body, mind, spirit, everything, because that's what holistic medicine does. So I always want to try to find that. But um, often if we can use CBD, it will help you know, decrease those seizure, um, the seizures threshold. And anxiety is another great place, as you know, um, arthritis and, and you had a corgi. So, you know, and corgi, and unfortunately corgis are what we call chondrodysplastic. I mean, they're bred to be short. They're bred mm-hmm. to be a dwarf. Yes. You wouldn't breed a child that way. So they kind of already come into the world with that genetic weakness as sure. an expression. It's not just in the genes at this point, it's expressed physically or what we call phenotypically. Mm-hmm. So, Often these animals, you know, you have to kind of start out early with supplementing them a little bit, maybe various different things, and really watching what goes into their body via vaccines, via, um, you know, food, et cetera. Uh, Exercise is really important, uh, and some nutraceuticals. But um, the CBD can support just about any kind of condition these animals have. Certainly people are using it for cancer treatment. I know you know about this. Yeah. Yeah. And about, unfortunately, about 50% of dogs have cancer now. This is shameful. I yeah. mean, it is shameful and completely avoidable. Yes. Completely. And what's your take on chemotherapy for a dog? Because I was recently um, uh, a, a, a friend that's, or a couple, a couple that's, they're both yeah. my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they uh, um, put their dog through chemotherapy. It was fairly, fairly young. Um, but they wanted to do everything that they possibly could. Um, and in hindsight, they recommended against it. They were like, I wish we would have just, you know, done, done the deed and, and pulled the hammer down on, on what needed to be addressed. But, uh, the quality of life, the last two, three months, cause they had to, they had to send their dog off. Uh, so the dog was outside of the home and, for treatment so they they had to send the dog out i don't know exactly the 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 entire story but um it was outside of the homes outside of like the regular vet um quality of life was was just awful um it really just zaps your brain and your innards it wipes out your good cells bad cells and everything in between um but the torture that they basically said they they put their sweet sweet pup through um was they they just recommended that's the key word, isn't it? It is torture. It's torture, yeah. And, you know, everybody, nobody wants their animals to suffer ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And so they want to try to find a solution they think is the best. So they they probably threw $10,000 at that 
That was the other thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that key ten thousand. I think it was. I know it was thousands of dollars. Yeah, maybe yeah. not ten exactly, but I want to say it's close up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd maybe say eight. It's close. Yeah. yeah, and the problem is that um, you know I think that there are things worse than death. Yes, and we have to be realistic here. We have to really because this is where you got to get. You got to really be an adult. And you have to say, I take full responsibility for this. But is this really in the best interest of everyone in the family? Because you're a unit. Mm-hmm. Is this best interest of the planet as well? Because these things end up in the environment one way or another. Is this in the best interest of especially this dog? And this is where I think a lot of people fall off. They do not trust their communication with their animal. And yes. if you really trust, and then what happens is you do things that are disrespectful to that individual. And I seriously doubt that dog would have said, yeah, take me away from the home mm-hmm. and put me through all of this and I'll be okay. Um, the, again, the respect, we don't, you know, we're, we come from a culture where we don't respect the environment. We often don't respect each other. And I'm not saying your friends didn't adore your animal, their animal, but... We have to really get down deep and ask ourselves, is this in most harmony? Is this for his greater good? Is this for the good of the family? Is this, you know, all these difficult questions. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to, um, I just want to make sure I say this um, from my perspective. It's just my perspective. But I don't think that you have to fix everything. Um, But if you have to do something like that, then what, I try to do with natural medicine is give them the best quality life that they can have um, for and try to help them not be in extreme pain. If they need a surgery to debulk a big tumor, mm-hmm. then often that is the best thing you can do. And then, but not poisoning them because again, like you said, it poisons everything. And, but if they can, you know, it's amazing what fresh food will do. With oh, an animal that has cancer, I, I can't tell you Holy uh, the, the the stories that I've I've heard of of people just it goes right back to just changing the diet. Right, um, like we just went to uh, an all natural or raw diet, or yeah. I cook my dog's food now, right. and what a puppy I have now, yes. and this ten year old, twelve yes. year old dog. Yes, um, it's, it's and there are options yeah. for cancer with animals, um, and and there are lots of options for avoiding that. You don't have to have that 50%. When I see that, when people talk about that 50% of dogs get cancer now, Mm -hmm. those are 50% of dogs who are on crapola food their entire (laughs) life, who are vaccinated out, you know, the whatever. They are are given pesticides um, all the time for flea and tick and heartworm. They're not exercised like they should. They're not in the sunshine getting vitamin D. They're not... Um, socialized, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it goes on and on. These, you cannot have a healthy body and, and do all those kinds of toxic things to them mm-hmm. and not allow them to be dogs. I mean, that's the whole other thing. Um, often people want them as companions and we take them to work and we go on vacations, etc. but you're not really allowing them to be dogs. And if they're swimming in our uh, not only our energetic soup, but in our emotional soup, mm-hmm. if you're sliming all over them in, in an unhealthy way because you're, I don't know, 
because of whatever your lifestyle is, sure. your poor lifestyle, then the animal is going to pick up on that too. So the closer they get to us, the more responsibility we have, you know, the more we have to become conscious. It's just like having children. If you can, you don't want to um, inflict harm to them. And if you can, become more conscious about what you're doing to them. And with animals, you know, especially dogs, we've always taken them as a, um, they help us. They certainly do. Right? Yeah. And so if that's the case, then... it, to me, it's very, very important to have respect for them and ask them, okay, what do you need now? Yeah, I concur. You, right? Um, oh, you touched on vaccines. I want to ask when it's appropriate to vaccinate a dog. Is it, is it puppy? Is it when they're a puppy and then that's it? Okay, um, well, is this you... number three? Controversial topic number three? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean for it to be controversial. No, I, just, no. what I am about is creating controversy. That is, okay. I'm okay with that. So okay. don't worry, I'm joking because <laughs> this is your shitty little podcast. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to shit on that right Good. now. Shit on those vaccines. Good, yes. So, um, you know, we are vaccine addicted in this culture. We think we have to vaccinate everything. And this is huge money for the biologics companies, huge. The, the, the veterinary biologics is one of the fastest growing sides of the whole biologics industry or the vaccine industry. And of course now the, and you'll notice this on commercials and stuff, the other growing side of course is a population of elder people. It's big. Never ever did we have vaccines for older people. Never mind that children are vaccinated for one, from one hour old all the way. I mean, it's ridiculous. But animal vaccines, you know, they've really only come around since the late 1950s um, with distemper vaccine. And then, then um, rabies came in, and then we just keep adding more and more on there. Um, but in terms of puppy vaccines, because everybody always wants to know that, here's what's happened fundamentally at the very the essence of this. So sure. let me tell you how we got sucked into this. So nobody wants their animals or any animals or any children to die from childhood diseases. And um, just to be clear, I have studied this topic for 31 years extensively. It is not that I am, you know, I just decided this yesterday. This is not. So when I hear people talking about, oh, but, you know, vaccines cured polio, it did not. These are myths. And if you study, if you take two hours and just go through some of the literature that's out there and the hundreds and hundreds of studies that have been shown to vaccines cause damage, um, you get real clear about what these things do. But in terms of puppies, um, and now because I am, I have enough gray hair and I've seen enough clients, animals who have started their lives with no vaccines and live really long, full lives Rabies is a different topic, and I'll address that in a minute, but we're talking about the puppy diseases or even kitty diseases, panleukopenia, um, and then parvo and distemper. Um, you can go through an entire life without ever having vaccinated those your animals for that, those diseases, and they're perfectly fine. Um, I do use homeopathic, what we call homeoprophylactics, they're also called nozodes, and I will use them in certain circumstances, but there's plenty of animals I've seen where people just go what I call naked. They go naked, but they're not really because if you expose your animal just like you expose your kids, have you ever heard of those chicken pox parties where yeah. people would take their 
kids over to... And expose their yeah. kids to, to chicken so pox. They so they got some chicken pox. So they yeah. actually started to develop their immune system. It's really no different for animals. Um, where we really see the problem with distemper and parvo are usually in really compromised animals. We see it a lot in shelters because what do they do? They pick up a dog off the street. Often they're immune compromised because maybe their mama didn't live very long, didn't have, uh, didn't produce enough antibodies. You bet that she had antibodies to parvo and distemper and everything that's on the street, but maybe she was malnourished. So she has these puppies and then they get scooped up or some dog running around, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they pick them up, scoop them up. And then they immediately start vaccinating them. They're stressed out of their minds at these shelters and well-meaned people often, but it's also become big business. It's also become, um, a, a, meth, a, a mentality. It was a method that became a mentality. And that's a very dangerous thing. And so, because then you don't get out of that mentality because then it's like, we got to do it this way. got to do it this way. Well, we've never fixed these problems. So, you know, what's the definition of insanity, right? Sure, yeah. Um, Keep doing the thing over thing, and over again. Yeah. Respecting expecting, a, yeah. <laughs> different respect, response. I said respecting. <laughs> yeah. A, a, yeah. Uh, not respecting, actually, you know, not <laughs> yeah. respecting what's going on. But anyway, so so we see distemper and parvo in those. And usually, if we see it in young animals, it's usually there's some sort of immune compromise there. Um, but vaccinating them early does not necessarily mean that they are going to be immunologically protected. And I am going to say this, because you vaccinate someone, it doesn't mean you're immune. Mm -hmm. We think it does, but it does not mean that. And all you have to do is study a little immunology to know that vaccines are not 100% and they don't necessarily impart immunity. Plenty of people do not get vaccinated and have 100% immunity and plenty of people are uh, vaccinated and have no immunity. Yeah, look at the flu so, shot. Yes, exactly. Know, that's, that's a perfect example. Yeah. So, um, but this goes on and on. And the problem is what happens is, let me just give you this little um, crapshoot that I call the crapshoot. So you start vaccinating, many people vaccinate these puppies. Some breeders even vaccinate six weeks old. Um, eight weeks old is kind of the typical. The problem with that is that mama's antibodies which do impart some immunity to the babies, have not worn off typically. We do know that many of mama's antibodies can even go as long as 16 weeks. I think 12 weeks is probably the, for most animals, right? You know, it's probably done by then. So what they do, the idea with vaccinating starting early in life is um, to try to catch the immune system so that it'll start protecting because what do we want? We want to be able to take our dogs to the dog parks. We want to be able to, you know, take them to school. We want to, the problem is that we're loading them up on these vaccines very early in their lives. And when mama's antibodies are present, you're not going to get more of an antibody reaction. If you already have antibodies in your system, vaccinating any time with anything, it doesn't matter if it's flu, it doesn't matter if it's uh, measles, it doesn't matter if it's rabies, it doesn't matter if it's anything, you're not going to get more. You can't add to it. This is a basic principle of immunology and vaccinology. But people don't think of that. So what you've done by starting them early in their lives, not knowing what mama's antibodies are doing, then you're just loading them up with toxicants, heavy metals, mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, and all kinds of toxic. It's a toxic soup, basically. 
And you don't know that. The only way to know if mama's antibodies are still there providing protection is to do a blood test. And it's what we call antibody titers. And that nobody wants to do that. So these breeders start, especially breeders, they start very, very early. And um, I can tell they don't know their immunology and their vaccinology because they're starting so early there. And so they're trying to save the puppies, so to speak. But it's much better if what you do is wait till around anywhere between 14 to 16 weeks. There is a, a famous immunologist that believes it's 16 weeks. And he's done enough studies. But if you can wait to vaccinate your animal at 16 weeks, and if you feel strongly like you really have to vaccinate because whatever, I don't, I don't have any reasons anymore for it. I've studied this so much and seen so much that there's no rationale in my mind, especially if there's homeopathic remedies. Right. If you felt like you had to vaccinate, you wait till six weeks and you give one vaccine of a modified live vaccine. One for the entire life of your dog, period. And the same thing for your cat. That's shocking, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, Because I would imagine my thought process was get the puppy stuff out of the way and then you're pretty good Mm -hmm. after that was the response that I was expecting. And it used to be, I would see this where they'd get three puppy shots and then usually within six months and often the magic period is 90 days usually something will happen. They'll start to get itchy or their ears, they'll have a discharge or inflamed ears. They'll have um, itchy bellies or itchy feet. They'll chew at their feet. These are the first signs of what we call vaccinosis. Vaccinosis was a term coined by homeopaths 200 years ago when the first vaccines were given for cowpox. And they noticed in people, especially people that were repeatedly vaccinated, that they had these other diseases that they never came with. They were perfectly healthy, healthy people, often your age, you know, just young people, vital people, vaccinated for cowpox over and over. And they um, usually vaccinated you until you, quote unquote, took. And when you took, you had like this bubo, and it was, it's like a big hive. It's mm-hmm. like a big kind of boil. And when you took, then they stopped vaccinating you. And if you didn't have that reaction, they'd just keep doing it over and over again. So this, so it's very interesting when you look at what those symptoms were in people. They're exactly the same symptoms we see in animals or even children. Um, but what's happened to vaccines back then, they would just take some, some ground up, um, um, these pox. Um, they were, they were uh crust, crusty sort of things on the udders of cows because they noticed that the, the women that were milkmaids mm-hmm. never got smallpox. And so they, they realized that they were inoculating themselves with the cuts on their hands and stuff working on the farms. They were basically creating immune protection with that. And so they were taking the, those crust, uh, crusty things, grinding them up, and then injecting them into people creating what they thought was antibody protection. They didn't call it antibody, but uh, immune protection. And and it kind of worked. They didn't come down with smallpox, but they had all these other symptoms, vaccinosis. And the homeopaths saw this, and they started treating people for this. So it's the same model we knew 200 years ago in humans that we know in animals and, and in humans now. And the problem is these vaccines, because they're so loaded with all kinds of other toxicants, we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. And uh, I just taught in um, I just taught in Chicago at a conference um, about vaccine ingredients. And um, the problem is that now they're so loaded with all kinds of things in them and, and multitude of viruses in there 
they're attenuated viruses. They're, they're modified live or they're killed. But there are a lot of viruses in there. So the combo wombos are pretty dangerous. And when you have complex vaccines, you're going to get complex diseases. So it sets up a whole pattern of illness that can occur Chronic illness just gets worse and worse over the course of an animal's life. And again, because I've seen so many animals now that don't have this constant, first they start out with bad ears, or they'll have itchy skin, or they're chewing at their feet, or they're scooching their butt all the time. And then over the course, and then they'll go back to the vet, and they'll get more vaccines, or they'll get some suppressive medication, you know, steroid or whatever. And then um, they'll go on through their life, they'll get more vaccines, another reaction will occur. And then by the time, sometimes now, by the time they're three years old, you'll start to see lumps and bumps and growths and stuff. And then often they're dead by the time they're six or eight years old. This is criminal. Absolutely criminal. Okay. So that's another (laughs) controversial. I like to use these words because it's true. You know, this is, this is, and this is what's happening in children. Mm -hmm. You know, autism just didn't happen out of a vacuum. You know, there's a lot of reasons that these things occur. There's a lot of setup. So anyway, um, I was going to have you touch on flea and heartworm medicine because Mm -hmm. my dog is on flea and heartworm medicine Mm -hmm. right now. Can you convert me? Like what? Um, <laughs> I can convert you. I didn't. Easy. I didn't. I figured I was doing a, the right thing, right? But, um, yeah, you know, because this is just what we're fed. You know, this is what we're told to do. Mm-hmm. You know, get right. get your get your dog on some heartworm medication. Make sure that they're taking flea and tick medication. What are they on? That's that's always what what flea and tick medication are you on? Right. Is, is the question if you're gonna board your dog or. Um, yeah, any of that. Change vets, whatever. Yeah, anything. Um, and, and uh, well, for one thing, you know, look at your environment. I mean, here in Santa Fe, we have had some freezes, so it's unlikely that you're going to have fleas and ticks. We don't have, we are at 7,000 feet. We really don't have much in the way of parasites here. We're not like even just our neighbor here to the north or the south in the communities where the rivers are. Um, it's warmer communities. And so they're going to have mosquitoes. They're going to have fleas and ticks. And, but I have clients all over the country that are in very heartworm endemic and flea endemic areas. The first thing you want to think about is again, going back to that fresh food, those stinky dogs on your ranch out there were there, they were being fed rancid food, unfit for human consumption. Some of the most disgusting kinds of things put into you know, a yellow and a red pellet that appealed, you you thought it was okay, you know, but, um, and consequently, and that's a whole other podcast just on food, we could go into that, but, but um, consequently, what ends up happening is, um, as long as you're being fed rancid food, then the body has to react to it. Anything you put into the body, it it has to react. So if it's a different reaction, there's different energetics. Uh, chicken creates a different reaction than beef does, than lamb does, than, you know, fish. And, but when you're feeding rancid food, the body reacts to it in a way that is like, this is food, but it's not food. This is toxic. So it creates an inflammatory reaction. It has to, because it's trying to annihilate and basically keep the body homeostasis. So when the body is slight, because the body heals either by inflammation or discharge. It's very simple. 
almost all, all reactions are inflammation or discharge. So if it can't pee it out or puke it out or poop it out, yeah. it's going to discharge it out the eyes or the ears, wherever it can, out the skin. That is a huge place where discharge occurs. So again, part of what you were sensing and smelling and everything was this rancid food. When that happens, the body's inflammatory process and it was and those animals were probably inflamed everywhere sure and this is their joints were inflamed you know their guts were inflamed and they were inflamed everywhere and so when you're when you have inflammation your body temperature elevates a little bit because that's the normal thing you want a fever when you've been assaulted by a virus or a bacteria or whatever you want your body to to have a fever and, but if you have a low-level fever, even half a degree temperature because you're eating rancid food, those heat-seeking missiles, those fleas and ticks, especially fleas, they will find you. And they will find you faster on somebody who's on rancid food, poor quality food. So they, if you're walking by someplace and you have two different dogs, they will find the one that is more compromised, basically, that is smells rancid, smells stinky, because a lot of those parasites go for animals that are that are dead or dying. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, most definitely. So clean up the diet, clean up the diet, and then absolutely never put them on anything in the winter time. Because, and I know some people say, no, keep going. It's moolah. It's mm-hmm. money, and there is no reason for it. We and the other thing is, look at your community here in Santa Fe. I think the best thing is to ask. Really ask your veterinarian, how many cases of heartworm have you treated the animals that lived here in Santa Fe? Ask them that. Because it's a complex life cycle. You have to go through a mosquito, which makes it, because a mosquito is the vector, what we call the vector. So because of that complexity in the life cycle, it's harder to get a disease than if you're just transmitting it, you know, just by sniffing each other. Or, sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so because of that, and you, that life cycle of the mosquito, they have to live. They have to live at least five days and incubate that worm that they sucked out of a dog that had heartworm. They have to incubate that. And so they have to stay alive. And to stay alive for a mosquito, you have to have warm nights. And that's why we have more heartworm in places like Espanola and Corrales and Albuquerque and stuff. But in Santa Fe proper, we really don't have that much. So in order to, um, in order to then inject into somebody else they have to stay alive for a certain period of time and then inject it into another animal now here we are back to the fundamentals because if you have an animal that is healthy vital on fresh food that isn't swimming in heavy metals and other toxicants from vaccinations that its body is having to deal with plus all those viruses they're given in those vaccines if they're not encumbered by that, and you want to picture something like, you know, could you be carrying around a heavy anvil all day long or a bag of rocks all day? You can't. So those animals that are more susceptible to these parasites, it doesn't matter what they are, are usually because their immune system's just overwhelmed. And overwhelming immune system often is an allergy situation because those vaccines, again, they stimulate a specific reaction to those viruses that are put in there, but they also, they are intended to create a nonspecific reaction. A nonspecific reaction usually ends up being an allergy. 
So that is epidemic in dog and cat population. So really cleaning up the diet is going to mean that, that they are going to be less susceptible to parasites of all kind. And if they do get infected with a parasite, it's not a big deal because their immune system knows how to deal with it. Sure. Yeah. How to annihilate them. Makes total sense. Yeah. Makes total sense. Is there a kind of like a starter kit? You can tell folks at home like, okay, let's, let's start here and then we can go from there. And then I also want you to plug your website and how people can get a, a hold of you, your wealth of knowledge. And I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people are latching on to things that you're saying, me included. Um, so. Um, so in order for people to, to get a hold of you, um, sure. how can, how can folks do that? Um, my website is drdblanco.com. I had to think for a minute there. <laughs> it's uh, it's d-r-d-e-e-b-l-a-n-c-o.com. And I think there's a contact thing. There's a, there's a phone number on there. There's an email on there. Great. And there's some articles on there they can read. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as far as like getting started in the right direction, um, do you stop your, your old Roy right away. And you and, bet. And That's then, the yeah. first thing you can do. And then, and even like what you were doing on your parents' ranch there, you were feeding some leftovers and mm-hmm. stuff. Well, of course, you know, we've been conditioned. No, that's horrible. That usually is not horrible. Usually most people eat fairly decently. I mean, if you're feeding your dog Doritos all day, cause that's what you're eating, not good. Sure. But if you're, if you basically have, um, you know, decent meals and you're giving some leftovers to your animals. Absolutely. You, you, it's not going to be balanced. You need to understand the fundamentals of how to feed a carnivore, but certainly using some of those things. I mean, my dog, I eat a salad almost every day for lunch and she gets some salad. She loves her salads, you know, and she gets a lot of what we eat. So, um, you know, it's just part of her being there, you know, she wants some of that. It's fine because we eat really well. It's all organic in our house and we all, we make everything. So she's fine with that. And then she has her own meals that I don't eat, you yeah. know, but absolutely more variety, the better. A healthy individual should be able to eat a variety of foods and you want a variety of foods because they're going to provide a variety of nutrition and nutrients and Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of human diets out there that they say, you know, more colors, the better, like the more variety you can pepper in, the better, like don't just have celery and and tuna every day, although that's great for you, you know, maybe. (laughs) Well, not the mercury and tuna though. (laughs) That's right. A whole nother podcast there as well. Right. right. Um, But yeah, uh, the variety. And also uh, I don't want folks to think that it's a huge obstacle to to cook for your dog. It can be super easy. Um, I will oftentimes cook for three days, you know, like yeah. I, I'll, I'll cook a large enough meal that it'll last upwards of a week sometimes um, for, for, you know, raw feeding. Uh, so tell dogs. me about what you're doing. Oh, gosh. Let's, oh. let's, let's help these. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like I'm about to get my wrist no, slapped. No, not at all. I'm sure I won't. <laughs> um, just like soup bones uh, for, for, for treats. Um, I don't think that you know the nyla bones and the 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 plastic toys that yeah. uh, you give your your pups to to chew on. I don't think that that's great for them. No, because they're swallowing. I mean, I see a lot of mess uh, when dogs chew up stuff, but I guarantee a lot of it's getting swallowed. That that it's not ending up on the floor. Yeah, very um, toxic. 
uh, brown rice, um, often like if I'm making something for myself, um, like, much like you said, like if, if you're eating clean, then I'll, I'll make a larger batch just to pepper in with some fresh veggies, um, carrots, um, peas often are in there, yeah. um, you know, various proteins, um, I enjoy lamb um, oh, <laughs> quite uh, quite a, a bit, uh-huh. and uh, I'll pepper in some lamb. So, good. what what am I doing wrong? That's perfect. That okay? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's different <laughs> philosophies about feeding what I call fresh. I'm not going to say raw because some animals cannot do raw food; they just can't. And depending on their medical conditions, they need cooked food. I should have used the word fresh. Yeah, okay. it's it's not like no, no, I'm just taking a slab of meat and throwing it. Right, in. right. <laughs> but um, but some animals do very well with just a raw food diet. Um, and, and most, most carnivores can handle a raw food diet, but again, some of them, their conditions, you know, you just need to cook the food, lightly cook it, or even cook it a little bit more so that it's more like, um, soup and because, um, well, there's a variety, variety of reasons for that. But, um, so starting out for people, I think it's just, start adding some something fresh to their diet. They can't handle too much vegetable. The carnivores can't handle too much vegetable unless you start the breakdown process for them. So you can start by pureeing or grating really, really fine, um, um, sauteing or steaming or even boiling if you have to, and then mashing the vegetable matter. And that uh, helps them um, break down that food because, again, a dog or a cat in the wild, they would eat part of the stomach contents of whatever their prey was, and that's partially digested Mm because that's what the stomach is, a big cauldron, it's a big soup pot. And that's when everything gets heated up and mixed up. And and so because carnivores don't digest, um, they don't have cellulase. So to break down that plant wall, the wall of the, the plant cells, um, you have to kind of help them along a little bit. And if you don't have tripe or you don't, they don't have the stomach contents of some critter they've taken down, then um, processing the food a little bit for them or cooking it, etc. And then in terms of the meat and stuff, again, a wide variety. Um, there's percentages and, you know, it's good to have this, uh, um, an idea in your mind about how to the, how to do this so that it's, balance more or less. But yeah, I mean, even legumes, I'm, I'm totally in favor of feeding. Some people go, Oh my God, they're so dangerous. What about the lectins? What about, you know, but we have to be thinking too about sustainability. These animals are eating high on the food chain. We are eating high on the food chain. And we have to be thinking also about how are we all going to survive? Not everybody's going to be able to eat grass fed, grass finished. You want to hear something interesting that yeah. I, a piece of literature I consumed the other day? Um, stem cell research, they're now finding um, that they can grow like ribeyes. So wow. the sustainability of like, that. isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, and I wonder, you know, I wonder if it's it just might- as nutrient rich so you can have one cow yeah. and uh, or a couple of cows right. as opposed to these huge, huge herds of agriculture that that, that the sustainability of, of that alone, how awful it is. And but we don't have to cut down the rainforest. I mean, that's right. Yeah. There's so many places where it does not work anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I know the cattle industry and other people would say, oh, cows save the planet, you know, and there's, there is definitely that, but I'm talking about um, we have to think responsibly. 
That's we don't. There's no wiggle room anymore. Sure. We know this, right? Yeah. There's no wiggle room. And so, if we want our animals to be with us, and we want our carnivores, we are living with carnivores. I mean, we're talking about dogs and cats here today. Um, you know, we have to be thinking about how can we can sustain this. So even feeding some meals that are legumes that are really, really, you have to cook the heck out of them mm-hmm. and you have to, you know, process them correctly and you have to balance with the correct minerals. And, and so again, my dog gets some of that, you know, if I'm making a lentil stew, I make sure that she gets some of that yeah. and I alternate, you know, I use a wide range of things and most dogs can handle that. Even some cats can. So cats are a little different because they're what we call obligate carnivores. Mm -hmm. So they are obliged to eat protein. They use protein and fat as an energy source. They're not as efficient as using carbohydrates. Where dogs are more like us, they're more like omnivorous, and they can handle um, carbohydrates as an energy source. Cats can't very much. So anyway, there's all kinds of things you can immediately start doing. Add some eggs into your dog or cat's diet. Eggs is another big one, yeah. Yeah. you know, scramble up some eggs, throw mm-hmm. an extra one in there, you know, you like, bet. It's, yeah. it's great for your pup. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you shouldn't like? Oh. I've, I've heard controversial, like yeah. don't give them cinnamon, don't give them almonds, I think is another one. Grapes. Yeah. Um, are, are there anything that, right. th- that jumps off oh, the yeah. page? Are you, what, what number are we on for controversy? <laughs> Let's see. The whole thing. Right. That's going to be yeah. the name of the right. podcast. Controversial veterinarian <laughs> chat with Dr. Right. Blanca. Right. <laughs> um, so I know that grapes and raisins, I even know a veterinarian who um, was a holistic veterinarian. I just saw in her book the other day that she didn't recommend it. But um, I think the real reason what happened with grapes and raisins was um, they're typically sprayed with a pesticide that's a fluoride-based pesticide that's very toxic to the kidneys. And um, so this is, I think that's originally what happened because many of us have fed grapes to our animals for years and never had an issue. But chocolate can be, you know, milk chocolate is not as harmful if your dog got into, you know, your chocolate bar. But and some animals tolerate it more than others. But um, dark chocolate can be harmful. Um, they say macadamia nuts. I'm not really sure that I, I've never seen that. Um, um, avocados, the skins are not good for them. It can cause vomiting and diarrhea. And obviously, the pit is a bad thing. But in terms of the avocado, great source of omega oils, as Certainly. we all know. So. Yeah. Um, uh, what's some of the other oh onions and garlic that's always the fear sure um garlic i think is a superfood i concur right uh, wholeheartedly and i I, there's garlic in everything i cook so by default perfect the pups and this was before that this information was presented to me i'm not like ah fooey to the to the information out there um but never saw an issue beforehand and you won't you won't. There was yeah. one study done on Golden Retriever, and I think they fed something like 70 cloves of garlic. I don't know, that poor dog. I mean, maybe it's just its mind would allow him to eat that many. Never any problems. And in, you can ask any veterinarian. They've never seen it. They, they might say, well, we think we saw one. Yeah. But no, they yeah. weren't seeing that. And um, onion is another thing. It's ne- I've never seen an issue with that. Um, where there were problems when I remember being in vet school is when um, cattle were let out in these farms after they had already picked uh, all the onions, but there's sometimes they leave some and then cattle were allowed to go in there. Then 
they weren't a lot, they had blood issues after eating too many onions. They extrapolated that to dogs, I think, but no, definitely garlic is one of those things. It also flea and tick and mosquitoes. Yeah. Put yeah. that in the food, definitely. And small amounts. And just make sure your dog, it's a hot food. So if an animal has intestinal issues, they might not be able to handle too much. But definitely chopping up, you know, an onion for a small little dog like yours. I mean, not an onion, excuse me, a garlic. Small little, you know, a small clove of garlic sure. or half a medium garlic would be per- perfectly fine. Yeah. Especially in the summer months, right? When yeah. we have more parasites and stuff. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Blanco, you, you did so great. Um, we're at the <laughs> chat a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to stop the podcast. Honestly, I <laughs> we'll just do wanna, it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm totally down for that. Maybe a recap or something sure. a little further down the line. Yeah. Maybe we both listen to it and be like, ah, I meant to bring up rabies or I meant to bring up. Yeah, we will. Um, um so yeah, let's do that. Um, is there anything that you were like, you feel very passionate about that? Like, you want to cover or we didn't touch on that you, you are often like, I always send people with this little nugget of information and gosh darn it, I didn't get a chance to say it. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I I would just say opt out of all of these. If your gut tells you, here's the big thing, here's the big takeaway. If you are not comfortable with what you're doing, what you're giving, what you're being told that you have to do, opt out, go and read or find somebody, find a practitioner like myself, somebody who can actually help you think your way through it. Um, There's some great websites, some great organizations. I'm going to give a plug to dogsnaturallymagazine.com. I do a lot of work for them. They're great people, lots of information. Do not fall prey to marketing or to pressure it doesn't matter if it's from family members, if it's from your vet or anybody. If your gut tells you don't, then don't. If you get a yellow light, that means as much as a red light, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you listen to yourself that way, then you're listening and having respect for your animal. And because you are responsible for them, it's important to have that kind of respect, to have that kind of respect for this sentient being that you're taking care of and you've been honored, you've been graced, you've been given the privilege to have in your life and to have love back and forth between the two of you. So the more that you can stay in that kind of sacred space and that kind of respectful place, then the less errors you're going to make and the more, the healthier life you're going to have for and with your animals. I concur. I've never seen a better example of unconditional love. That's right. From a dog. Um, They just, they just give and give and give. Um, And you're right, you know, as their caretaker, it's our responsibility to give them a little bit of what they provide for us. back. Uh, So very well said. (laughs) Um, In light of the the show, we always end with a poop story uh, on my shitty podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any animal related um, poop stories that um, you're willing to share with us today? (laughs) (laughs) I see so much poop. (laughs) It comes with the territory, you know, know. you get the anal thermometers and the, Oh, oh, the poor guys. Um, 
and I don't know, stool I samples. Hear, I want, yeah, I have all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Someday I want to do a whole article with pictures with different kinds of poop. Here's the yeah. poop you should be worried about. Here's the poop you shouldn't be worried about. Anyway, yeah, so. that qualifies. That qual- <laughs> what's, a, um, what's, what's one to, to look out for besides, you know, blood well, in the stool, I yeah, presume? Yeah, obviously, if your dog has a lot of loose stool, mm-hmm. then um, it may be just that that's the poor food. Your body's the body is trying to discharge it. Yeah. It's not able to digest it, and it's trying to get it out. So that can be one. Um, and if there's here's another little nugget: if there's blood in the stool and it's just a drop or two, do not freak out. Find a holistic practitioner. You know, find if you have a reason for it, then have to modify the diet for a couple of days. Maybe fast them for a day, but. Um, stools are really important. Certainly. They're a really important monitor for, for health, overall health. Yeah. If there's, you know, a ton of blood, then that's a different thing. But a little bit of blood can just mean that there's some inflammation in the lower part of the gut and okay. the rectum. So, Good to know. Good, good little piece of information. Yeah. <laughs> Let's plug your website one more time. DrDBlanco.com. Awesome. That's it for us. Play us out. Shitty ukulele. <laughs> Oh, that's great fun. No, I have a lot to talk about, right? <laughs> I know, it's like, can't shut me up. <laughs>